Welcome to the Black History Short Stories Podcast. I'm your host, Amandre Johnson. Glad to have you on episode three. On this podcast, we usually discuss short stories from black history with a person that lived through the time period, because here we think it's important to carry on the stories of those that have lived through times to understand a first person's perspective, and most of all, to continue the legacies and memories that are important to our future. Given the situation of the U.S. today, we have had to take a pause from our normal structure and try to address the here and the now because black history is being made today, right now. Uh, here today we have Chastity with us. Please tell us your name and birthday. My name is Chastity and I was born July of 1988. Outstanding. She's a millennial like myself uh, that has been following the news in this nation. She also has a bachelor's in biology and is about two months away from having her master's in public health administration. Uh, while working full-time, you have been watching the brutality, the protests, the Twitter executions, the Karens going wild, and all this during the pandemic. How have you been feeling through all this? It's a lot. Very heavy on the brain. A lot to process. A lot of information that I've been taking in. Um, so, uh, an array of emotions. I agree. Uh, for me, I could say that it's definitely been exhausting. Uh it's been worrisome and frustrating because, you know, you feel like you want to get out and do something and you want to do so much. Uh, and there's not always that opportunity. But what it has done is it sparked several conversations about the former and current state of black people. And what do we do moving forward? What results do we want and how do we make it happen? And for the most part in the conversations we've had, the short answer is reparations. So that's what we're going to discuss today. We're going to discuss reparations and the United States uh, across with the world has a very, very long history of apologies and reparations because those two coincide and go together. Uh, I looked at uh, University of Massachusetts uh, library and on that library, there is a list of apologies and reparations. There are 52 stated on the list that directly correlate to the United States. Uh, what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to address first the individual acts of reparations and apologies in the U.S. specifically for black people, because it hasn't just affected black people. You know, there was a uh, Japanese people who received reparations and Native Americans who received reparations as all form and actions. There's Hawaii. Uh, there's also uh, Alaskan natives who received reparations, but we're going come back to them because although those are important, today we're going to try to focus on uh, the black ones. And we're going to start our story out in the year 1783. A woman by the name of Belinda Sutton, also known as Royal or Royale, I'm not sure. Uh, she was born in modern day Ghana in 1713 uh, and sold into slavery as a child to a man named Isaac Royal in Massachusetts. After 50 years of enslavement, she was made a free woman. Uh, after she was made free, Sutton fled. She got out of there to Nova Scotia. Uh, she petitioned then the Commonwealth of Massachusetts uh, to sue for her, free, for her enslavement and was awarded a pension of 15 pounds and 12 shillings to be paid from the estate of Isaac Royal. Today, that amount would equal $20 and 13 cents. Wow. Yes. 
So Belinda Sutton, all going back to 1983, has been asking for reparations for slavery. And that's a huge point to make because this is not a new topic as, you know, people would try to make you think, believe in. That's not something that hadn't been asked for before. Yeah. It has been asked for, and that shows that. And the whole Nova Scotia uh, migration is a whole big thing because they have a whole community of black people who escaped there. But that's another topic for another day. Let's skip on ahead to 1865. On January 12th, in the midst of the Civil War, General William T. Sherman and the U.S. Secretary of War Edward M. Stanton met with 20 black leaders in Savannah, Georgia. Four days later, General Sherman issued Special Field Order Number 15. And I know you've probably uh, never heard of Special Field Order Number 15. Prior to doing this research, I had never heard of it called that. Uh, are you familiar with the phrase 40 acres and a mule? I am. All yes. right. This is where that comes from. Stating black people would receive an army mule and not more than 40 acres. And I know, you know, growing up in a black household, you, you've heard the phrase 40 acres and a mule. So this is where that stems from. Uh on the coastal plains of South Carolina and Georgia, by June, roughly 40,000 blacks had settled on 400,000 acres of land before the Confederate landowners, aided by the new Johnson administration, started taking back, quote unquote, their land. Uh, so what happened here was uh, 1865, the, the 20 uh, black leaders came together and they stayed on 40 acres on a mule, then... Looks like Abraham Lincoln, what happened to him, got shot. And our new president took over Johnson was like, yeah, about that land. We're going to go need that back right now. So, you know, they sent all the people who the Confederates who had lost that land, the white only Confederates who had lost that land. They came back in and they took it back. And, you know, it's an awful story. Skip forward a year. 1866. Uh, the Southern Homestead Act. Ex-slaves were given six months to purchase land at a reasonable rate without competition from white Southerners and Northern investors. But owing to their destitution, few slaves were able to take advantage of the program. The largest number that did were located in Florida and it was less than 3000 people. So ultimately, you could say that the program failed uh, and it failed because in 1866, you know, people are just being freed. You know, you just left slavery with literally the clothes on your back. Yeah, they didn't have the resources to participate in the Southern Homestead Act. Right. The fact that 3,000 people, well, you know, almost 3,000 people were able to... That's amazing. ...to purchase land was amazing. And, you know, I would like to dive into this, and I'll leave this up to our fans, our audience, to find out what a reasonable price was. What was a reasonable rate in 1866 for a black man wanting to own land? That stood out to me, too. What is, what's reasonable? At that point, it... You know, with with people who don't have anything, who've never owned anything or even had their own money, what what is reasonable? That's a great question. Let's skip ahead to 1878. Uh, Henrietta Wood was a free black woman living and laboring as a domestic worker in Cincinnati when she was lured across the Ohio River into the slave state of Kentucky by a white man named Zebulon Ward. Never trust a man named Zebulon. No. Uh, Ward sold her to slave traders who took her to Texas, where she remained enslaved through the Civil War. Wood would eventually return to Cincinnati uh, in 1870, sued Ward for $20,000 in damages and lost wages. And finally, in 1878, an all-white jury decided in Wood's favor. Uh, 
Ward was ordered to pay $2,500, perhaps the largest sum ever awarded in a court in the United States in restitution for slavery. And that's via a New York Times article printed in uh, 2019. I wonder how he lured her across the Ohio River. That I'm unsure of. You know, because a black woman back then, why, why would you trust a white man? Questions I do not have the answer to. Um, I do not know. She may not know where she was going. Maybe promised her a better life. I don't know. I do not know. Uh, we're going to skip ahead uh, almost 100 years uh, to 1969. There was something called the Black Manifesto. It was launched in Detroit as one of the first calls for reparations in the modern era. Uh, penned by James Foreman, he was the former Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee uh, organizer and released at the National Black Economic Development Conference, the manifesto demanded $500 million in reparations from predominantly white religious institutions for their role in perpetuating slavery. Uh, about 215000 was raised from the Episcopalian and Methodist churches through rancorous deliberations that ultimately tore the coalition apart. The money was used to establish organizations such as a Black-owned brand, television networks, and the Black Economic Research Center. So I think this is huge because in 1969, this is one of the first steps into pushing to individual institutions that perpetuated slavery. And as we go through this list of uh, apologies and reparations, you'll find that there were specific institutions who played a big part, including the church. So I think that's important to know. So that kind of holds them responsible for their actions in... Absolutely. Enslavement. Absolutely. Uh, 1974, a $10 million out-of-court settlement was reached between the U.S. government and the Tuskegee victims. Uh, I know you're familiar with the yes, Tuskegee very. Institute. If you don't, that is something that you definitely need to look up. Uh, but in the short story, 600 black men who had been unwitting subjects of a study of untreated syphilis who did not receive available treatments. Can I... Uh, after a class action lawsuit, the men were awarded $10 million and the United States promised to provide health care and burial services for them. Eventually, the state ended up awarding health care and other services to the men and spouses and uh, some descendants, too. Um, I just wanted to put an emphasis on how bad that situation was. Mm -hmm. These men, syphilis is an awful disease that has like several different stages. Um, if you catch it in the first stage, you know, it's something that is preventable. It's, you can treat it. You can get rid of it. Once it gets, it progresses, it affects your skin and your brain. So, like, this was something that was really awful and just torturous for these men. So, the fact that they received that money was just the, the least that they could do. Um, that's the public health COVID-19. <laughs> so, 1989, a congressman uh, named John Kyers, he was a Democrat from Michigan, introduced a bill called H.R. 3745, and it was aimed to create the Commission to Study Reparation Proposals for African Americans Act. Huge thing. Uh, the bill was introduced to address the fundamental injustice, cruelty, brutality, and the inhumanity of slavery in the United States and the 13 colonies between the year 1619 and 1865, and to establish a commission to study and consider a national apology 
and proposal for reparations for the institution of slavery, its subsequent de jure and de facto racial and economic discrimination against African-Americans, and the impact of these forces on living African-Americans to make recommendations to Congress on appropriate remedies and for other purposes. And that's part of the preamble. And let me tell you how uh, jaw-dropping this was to see that in 1989, Someone said, let's consider an apology for slavery. Consider it. Let's consider an Think apology. Think about it. Let's make a commission to study reparations and an apology for the cruelty, brutality, and inhumanity of slavery. That's the year you were born. Yeah. Yeah. I, I said that's that's amazing. Jaw dropping. Not give a formal apology. Consider let's put it, it on the let's table. Think about it. Let's table yeah. that idea. Yeah. All right. So we skipped forward about five years. Uh, 19, oh, excuse me, a little longer than that. 1994. Four, uh, the state of Florida approved $2.1 million for the living survivors of a 1923 racial program that resulted in multiple deaths and the decimation of the black community in the town of Rosewood. And this was in Florida. And uh, this is a whole other podcast by itself. Uh, but it was a race riot and several people died. And this happened in 1923. Reparations were not given until 1994 to survivors. Were there any? What's the? How long is that? Uh, 1923. S. You know, almost 70 years. 71 years. So, I mean, <sighs> yeah. I, how many I, people who were actually? Was it? I wonder if it was given to their um, relatives. And that's the thing, and that's and we'll get to this later, guys. If you haven't realized that this is going to be a process, this Very might be a two two part episode, and I'm really trying to stay on topic and stay specific because there's so many different avenues we can go around. But uh, I don't know how many survivors that there were in 1994. Uh, that that whole topic right there, that whole story was on the list of topics that eventually we're going to come back to on this podcast and dive deep into, but. Again, staying on topic, moving forward. In 1995, the Southern Baptists apologized to African-American church members for the denomination of, of its endorsement of slavery. And I couldn't imagine that Sunday where <laughs> the preacher asked all his black members to stand up and he apologized for their endorsement of slavery. That's, that's unreal. Okay, so you remember that uh, Tuskegee experiment... Mm -hmm. Where they gave reparations. Okay? Yes. All right, come come forward to 1997. Bill Clinton officially apologizes to the survivors of the syphilis test in Tuskegee, Alabama. 1997. I, I can't stress enough. But we talk about the apologies because they go in with the reparations. And I think before you give restitution, you have to first acknowledge that something is going wrong. I agree. Okay? So what we're going to do... We're going to take a quick break. You're going to hear a word from our sponsors, and we'll be back with the rest of the list of reparations given in the U.S. Welcome back. Uh, I just want to give a quick shout out to a kind of a cousin podcast, or to the Perlo podcast, where they do a top 10 list. And if you love screaming at podcasts in your car, those guys would definitely make you do that. <laughs> I also want to shout out Dr. Ty and the Colonel and their most recent episode where they sat down and discussed the uh, riots, the protests, uh, the social injustices that was going on. I loved it. I think it's super important to have those conversations. 
and those are two white guys doing it. And to have those conversations amongst themselves is a big deal. And uh, at some point, I know we're going to have all those guys on this podcast. But uh, I also have a correction. I said a word wrong. How did, what did I say? Um, I don't remember how you say it. You said it, but it's Episcopalian. Episcopalian. Excuse yes. me. Sorry about that. All right. So go forward. We were ended at the 1997 apology by uh, Bill Clinton. We're going to go to 1999. And if you ever listen to the podcast 1619, this is going to sound familiar. Uh, class action lawsuit by black farmers against the United States Department of Agriculture was settled by consent decree leading to a nearly $1 billion in payments to plaintiffs. The lawsuit alleged systematic racial discrimination and allocation of farm loans from 1981 to 1996. A further $1.2 billion was appropriated by Congress for the second part of the settlement. And again, that's a whole nother podcast. And if you listen to 1619, they do an outstanding job. Yeah, 1619 by uh, the New York Times and Nicole Hannah-Jones. Yes, yes, they do an amazing job with that. Uh, let's go ahead a couple years in 2001. Uh, the Oklahoma legislature passed and Governor Keating signed a bill to pay reparations for the destruction of the Greenwood, Oklahoma community in 1921 in the form of low-income student, student scholarships in Tulsa, an economic development authority for Greenwood, a memorial, and the awarding of medals to the 118 known living survivors of the destruction of Greenwood. Uh, 1921, they didn't even get reparations for that until mm -hmm. 2001. And this is a huge topic right here. Uh, if you've seen Watchmen on HBO, it covers yes. the Tulsa riots. Uh, recently, the Tulsa riots have been coming up more. I know the anniversary just passed. Mm -hmm. And also a big thing about the Oklahoma riots is they kept it under wraps for a very, very long, long time. time. Yeah. From what I understand in my research of it, uh, white people forced them not to talk about it and black people were too afraid to speak about it at the time. Uh, they're still uncovering grave sites. Again, can't go down that avenue. That's a whole nother story for a whole No, other but podcast. I want to mention you said they received medals. 112, was 18. it? 18. 118 medals. 18 known living survivors. You gave me a medal for surviving you destroying my neighborhood? Uh, it's awful. Thing. What? Uh, I, I did read more about say? it, like how it started. And I can't remember at the moment about how it started. But... Uh, was again. this like last man standing? I, I just... I... <sighs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Okay. We'll skip forward to 2005 in the great state of Virginia. After five decades, after ignoring Prince Edward County and other locales that shut down their public schools in support of segregation, is making the rare effort to confront its racist past, in effect, apologizing and offering reparations in the form of scholarships. With a $1 million donation from the billionaire media investor, John Clute, and a matching amount from the state, Virginia is providing up to 5500 to any state resident who was denied a proper education when public schools shut down. So far, more than 80 students have been approved for the scholarships and the numbers are expected to rise. Uh, several thousand are politely eligible, and that's from a New York Times article uh, in 2005. Oh, potentially eligible. Um, I will... I, I, when I read this and uh, I didn't really dive deep in research about it, it immediately talked to me, like, think about high schools mm -hmm. during segregation. And I'm wondering, because 
the what was it Brown versus Board of Education fifty four, yeah, and uh, I'm wondering in two thousand five who who lost educate like who who received that what was the stipulations on that that's, that's what, what I'm saying wondering. who how does this yeah thank you but who is this helping again if uh, I if I were in high school back then I'm not considering going back to school right now and in in two thousand twenty what is five thousand five hundred for tuition you weren't all right so that that was in two thousand five. Not two thousand. We haven't got two thousand twenty yet. Don't worry. There's some on the list. Two thousand twenty. <laughs> All right. Another in two thousand five. You'll love this. Banking Corporation J P Morgan Chase issues an apology for their historical ties to the slave trade. Uh, the corporation set up a five million dollar scholarship fund for black students to attend college. The scholarship program called Smart Start Louisiana was likened to reparations by several commentators, including the one and only Reverend Jesse Jackson. Uh, and this is from uh, Howard University uh, News Press in 2005. Uh, another one in 2005, uh, the U.S. approved by voice vote uh, SR 39, which called for lawmakers to apologize for lynching victims, survivors, and their descendants, several of whom were watching from the gallery. Um, Excuse me? Mm-hmm. Uh, forced them to uh, apologize for it because, you know... That wasn't the immediate reaction. So, you had to be, okay. <clears throat> 2007, 2008, state legislatures in Virginia, Maryland, North Carolina, Alabama, New Jersey, and Florida passed measures apologizing for slavery and segregation. Uh, and this was written up by the UNC Press in Chapel Hill 2020. Uh, 2007, 2008. We're sorry, guys. Do you... This is uh, we. I, the apologies is needed. Okay. Okay. Let's that's just what say I, that. And that's what the I was apologies at. are needed. So the apologies. I'm not is knocking a, the apologies. Is recognition of the issue. And that's why I included it because okay. it's recognition. It's ownership of the issue. You know, you said I apologize okay. for. It, I own it. You know, and and, then, and that's why I included it in the part so of the reparations. That's the first step. That's the first step. The first okay. step is a you know acknowledging that I have wronged. Okay. You know. Okay. All right. So 2008, 2009. U.S. House Resolution 194 and Senate Concurrent Resolution 26 made a formal apology to the African-American community for what they say, centuries of brutal dehumanization and injustices. Plus, there was an addition that, admission that African-Americans continue to suffer from the complex interplay between slavery and Jim Crow long after both systems were formally abolished through enormous damage and loss, both tangible and intangible, including the loss of human dignity and i can't stress this enough that they said that african-americans could continue to suffer that's what this. The, I, this one those other ones i don't know exactly what they said mm -hmm. so i'm going to leave it alone however this one is very specific mm -hmm. it lets you know it lets us know that they realize that the things that happened 400 years ago are still affecting us today mm -hmm. and yes. i and i appreciate that mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. We'll skip ahead. 2014, the state of North Carolina set aside $10 million for reparations payments to living survivors of the state's eugenics program, oh, which forcibly sterilized approximately 7,600 people. I just uh, need to put emphasis on this. Mm -hmm. They ahead. forced 7,600 people to a medical procedure that eliminated them or prevented them from for from having children. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yep. Like I, I don't even. I, I feel like I could end there because that's a that is so much. Yep. Yep. And uh, I don't think this just included black people. Uh, I think it included the uh, the seventy six hundred was including a mix. But this is another injustice against black people. So I thought it was important to. I agree. To put in. And this is uh, by the News and Observer in uh, Raleigh and C in 2017. Uh, 2015. Oh, this is this one right here. Ooh. The city of Chicago signed into law an ordinance granting cash payments, uh, free college education, and a range of social services to 57 living survivors of police torture, uh, explicitly defined as reparations, which totaled $5.5 million. The ordinance includes a formal apology from uh, Mayor Rahm Emanuel and a mandate to teach the broader public about the torture through a memorial and a public and public school curriculum. Uh, in 2015, these were against police brutalities that happened in the 70s. So... What was... Um, okay. Yeah. These these things happened in the seventies, and this one really grinded my gears because, I it it shows how little we how far we haven't came. Yeah, because seventies. Yeah, our parents were alive in the seventies. Absolutely, absolutely, and you know, this podcast, this specific episode, you know, stemmed from police brutality. It stemmed from those conversations yeah. that from what happened with George Floyd, and it really it really bothers me. Uh, you're gonna love this one in 2016. Georgetown University has acknowledged that the school has profited from the sale of slaves and has reconciled by naming two buildings after African-Americans and offer preferred admission to any descendants of slaves who worked at the university. And this is good. I can't wait to do this episode. Yeah. Uh, because Georgetown is like a major university. It's huge. And I actually remember reading about this and... You know, I didn't I, I didn't realize that they had profited from the sale of slaves, although it makes a lot of sense considering the area and the time that mm -hmm. the school, you know, um, started. But. I. It just lets me know that 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 the enslavement of people was not limited to plantations. Exactly. This was this was everywhere. This was, a, uh, you know, it was it, it was it's embedded in everything, really good. I'm glad you said that. Let's keep reading. Uh, 2019, the Virginia Theological Seminary has earmarked $1.7 million to pay reparations to descendants of African-Americans who were enslaved to work on their campus. So it's just another example of an institution that is taking acknowledgement for slavery. Uh, and that comes from The Root, written September 10, 2019. 2019. Princeton Theological Seminary announced a $27 million commitment for various initiatives to recognize how it benefited from black slavery. This is the largest monetary commitment by an educational institution. Uh, and I was not familiar. I am still, I would say, still not familiar with the Princeton Theological Seminary. But I do appreciate that they mm -hmm. acknowledged it and they chose to be a huge monetary, you know, formation for black people. Uh, and this also comes from The Root, and this was written in uh, October 24th, 19, excuse me, 2019. Again, uh, as we're getting up to date with this, 2019, Senator Cory Booker, uh, you saw him, he was in the run uh, for Democratic nominees for president. He uh, chose to drop out. But uh, Senator Cory Booker, 
Democrat from New Jersey, introduced Bill S-1083 in the Senate that would provide for a commission to study and report on the impact of slavery and discrimination against black Americans and deliver a verdict on different proposals for reparations. The bill is a way of addressing head-on persistence of racism, white supremacy, and implicit racial bias in our country. It will bring together the best minds to study the issue, propose solutions that we finally begin to right the economic scales of past harms and make sure we are a country where all dignity and humanity is affirmed. And that's uh, from a press release in April of 2019. And... You remember the last time we had something like this in 1969. So it's still an ongoing thing. And it's still, you know, still trying to figure it out. You know, we'll put it on the table. We'll come back to it. Well, we're back to it. 2019 with Cory Booker. Continuing in 2019, Georgetown's back up. Georgetown University announced that it would raise about $400,000 a year to benefit descendants of the 272 enslaved people who were sold to aid the college 200 years ago when the funds will be used to support community projects. Uh, while students would be involved in the initiative, they would not be required to pay extra fees. The money would be raised through voluntary donations by alumni, faculty, students, and philanthropists. Uh, and this is written in a New York Times article in 2019. Uh, 2019, the City Council of Evanston, Illinois, voted to allocate the first $10 million, And I love this one. I, lo- I really do like this one. This is a great idea. Uh, voted to allocate the first $10 million in tax revenue from the sale of recreational marijuana, which became legal in the state January 1st, 2020, to fund reparation initiatives that address the gaps in the wealth and opportunity of black residents. In uh, a quote saying, this week's city council vote appears to have made Evanston the first municipal government in the nation to create and fund its own reparations program. And I think that this is huge. But it did leave a note that while Chicago created a program to compensate victims of police torture that we talked about above, the reparations uh, were not primarily race-based. But if you look at the statistics, that were, yeah. yeah, whatever. Either way, I think this is a great plan. I think the fact that you said that we're going to take the first $10 million in tax revenue mm-hmm. from recreational marijuana and put it towards uh, reparations is an outstanding idea. Okay. Uh, Around the nation, there are several states that have deemed uh, recreational marijuana not a threat to anyone. Mm -hmm. Uh, As a matter of fact, cancer patients use it. Uh, They use it a ton in medicine. Um, And we saw that uh, Colorado's economy flourished. Yeah. They they were able to build homes for homeless people. So, like, using that money to to fund something that um, will benefit so many people is an amazing way to say, hey, yes, you know, regardless of how you feel about marijuana, we're going to use this money, especially in this case, to um, advance the the black community. Absolutely. Especially a black community that has been unjustly affected by uh, people being arrested for marijuana. Absolutely. That's huge. Yeah. That that is. That is huge. All right. So closer to modern day in the year 2020. Uh, The Museum of Fine Arts in Boston reached an agreement with Massachusetts Attorney General's Office to implement policies and procedures and a $500,000 fund to address diversity issues. The agreement follows an incident of racial discrimination towards black students visiting the museum in May of 2019. And I remember this vaguely that uh, I'm pretty I can't remember exactly what happened, but I remember some students went to the museum and some of the museum art was uh, 
racially insensitive to black people. Okay. And I don't remember the exact story, but I do remember reading about this. Uh, let's move on. In 2020, and this is a big one. Remember the year 2020. Uh, the University of Mississippi has apologized to dozens of African-Americans who were arrested in 1970 for protesting racial inequalities and Confederate imagery on campus. And this was posted in February of this year. Uh, again, this the Mississippi, the Ole Miss riots is mm -hmm. another topic that we're going to go on in another episode. But I think this is huge because they apologize for it. And now we're at the state of America to where Confederate statues, Confederate flags, they're coming down. Mm -hmm. They are. They are coming down. And a lot of them are coming down uh, as, you know, mandated by that state. Others are coming down because of protesters. Absolutely. Either way, yeah. they're coming down. Either way, they're coming down. Uh, my favorite one was when NASCAR said that they were taking down the Confederate flags. Uh, some guy, his name's not even worthy to mention, who had never <laughs> run away. Uh <laughs> Who had never won a race said that he was quitting NASCAR. He said this in a tweet. Uh, NASCAR, the official NASCAR tweeted him back and said, hey, guy, we had to actually Google who you were. <laughs> you know, sorry, you don't get to defend your participation trophies. Yeah. And I love that. I love that. One thing I can say that is coming out of this is uh, the Twitter executions, man. Twitter does a better job than the police does. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I've seen dozens of people get executed on Twitter. When I say executed, I mean they find you for being racially insensitive or homophobic, or any way intolerant, and they call you a job, they harass your family, uh, They you got to delete all your social media, because yeah. they'll find you, I mean, they, Twitter does an amazing job, Twitter is the best investigators I've ever seen. They really are, they, collectively, they have gotten a lot of people fired, and I don't, you know, I don't agree with people being threatened or anything like that, but when you are blatantly being racist on a public platform such as Twitter, where any and everyone can see what you say, you, you really just don't care. Nah. You get what, you get what is coming to you. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so, through all this, there have been individual institutions that have uh, apologized for slavery. It was not until we got our first African-American president in 2009 that the White House uh, had issued a redress to the descendants of enslaved people and apologized. And uh, I think that's just, uh, that says a ton right there. Do you think it, it would have happened had he not been in that position at the time? I, I don't know. I truly don't. I truly do not. Uh, and I know this, and uh, this is one of the big uh, bills going forward in June 2019. The House Judiciary Committee heard testimony on a bill called H.R. 40 uh, that would address reparations for the descendants of enslaved people. During the hearing, Arthur, please don't let me say this wrong, Tanahisi Coates, who is did I say it right? You didn't say it right, but I'm not sure how to pronounce it either, but he's an author. Okay. He is a distinguished writer and a mm -hmm. residence at NYU's Arthur L. Carter Journalism Institute. He is the author of the best-selling book, The Beautiful Struggle, We Were Eight Years in Power, and Between the World and Me, which uh, won a National Book Award in 2015. His first novel, Water Dancer, was released in September 2019. Uh Mr. Coates, I won't try to say his first name again, is a recipient of a MacArthur Fellowship. He is also the current author of Marvel comic books, The Black Panther and Captain America. He pointed out that, pointed to the nation's unjust past and reparations as a way forward. He is quoted saying, uh, 
to Congress, it is impossible to imagine America without the inheritance of slavery. The matter of reparations is one making amends and direct redress, but it also a question of citizenship. In H.R. 40, this body has a chance to make both good on its 2009 apology for enslavement and reject fair weather patriotism to say that this nation is both its credits and debts. Uh, that if Thomas Jefferson matters, so does Sally Hemings. And Sally Hemings was uh, Thomas Jefferson's side piece, uh, if you didn't know that. Oh, yeah. And it's de credits and debits, by the way. Debits, I'm sorry. Uh, that if D-Day matters, so does Black Wall Street. That if Valley Forge matters, so does Fort Pillow. Because the question really is not whether we'll be tied to some things of our past, but whether we are courageous enough to be tied to the whole of them. And I, I thought that was super huge uh, for him to say that in front of Congress and to uh, support reparations. And there are a ton of thoughts on reparations. And that's what I think we'll come back with in part two. Mm -hmm. And in part two, we'll look at the different questions on reparations, the pros and the cons to reparations, because there is a ton of, uh, of opinions on it. Uh, and very quickly, we can go ahead and address it. What is your opinion on reparations? I have an opinion. You said at the beginning of the podcast, like, the answer to all of this is reparations. And I don't totally agree with that. Did I say that? Yeah, I said you, did. That a... you did. Okay. You did. You said that. You said that. The short answer is reparations. And I feel like there's so much more okay. to address okay. besides reparations. Because when some people hear reparations, they automatically think compensation, so money. Uh -huh. And I think... That is not the answer to everything, although mm -hmm. I am not opposed to mm -hmm. people receiving um, monetary, you know, apology. Mm -hmm. um, I think there are so many other steps to finding a solution to, you know, I, how we're treated in America um, and, you know, how to go forward and okay. be better. Okay. And I agree with you. And uh, I didn't mean to make that say that reparations will be the end all be all once we get reparations that that'd be. The, no, that's not what I mean. What I. What I mean to say is the first, one of the largest ways that people have talked about uh, righting these wrongs is reparations. Mm -hmm. Do I think that's the only thing? Do I think giving reparations is going to you know, change mindsets of people? No, I, I know that that's not the case. Uh, but that's been the subject that's been on the table, mm -hmm. uh, what we're going through right now. And uh, I, I have my own opinions of what reparations can and will do and what reparations can look like because there are several forms of what reparations look like uh and i think that'll be part two okay. of reparations uh I, and i definitely definitely agree that 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 is not the end all be all coming up on the next episode we're gonna ask some questions and uh, you guys can start thinking about this yourselves the fact that America has apologized and given reparations to black people in so many instances, you know, going back from 1783, what does it say about America? What is it? What, do you, what America, what does that say about you? Yeah. But that's something for y'all to think about. And uh, we'll come back next episode about it. But what we want to do is we want to thank you for joining us today. Uh, if you would like to reach out to us and give us ideas for the podcast, tell us ways to improve, make a correction in the research, please feel free to email us at bhshortstories at gmail.com. That's B as in black, 
H as in history and short stories, plural. Please take the time for self-care and reach out and talk to those around you. This experience in the nation can be traumatic and confusing. And honestly, talking about it helps. It really does. We've done a lot of talking. Uh, we've had a lot of conversations in the last couple of weeks. And, I agree. Um, you know, it really helps me and, get out my thoughts and see, you know, how someone else feels about it. I agree. And I and I I know that it's okay that we disagree on a lot of these things. We do. Uh, but that's the point of it, to exhaust all our options and exhaust all our mm-hmm. ideas and come up with the best option, you know. And uh, we're small potatoes here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but... What our goal is and our hope is that these conversations are going on all across the nation and it's going on in, you know, in the small households all the way to the White House. And that's what I want. I want these conversations to continue between you and I, between other people and between everybody, because this is a conversation that has to be had and it's going to be uncomfortable. Uh, And that's okay. But that's how you grow. That is. From that is. Situations. Nobody, nobody, you know, really grows in their comfort zone. No, you got to step out of that, and that's okay. And me personally, I've been having these conversations for a long time because I have a lot of white friends, and yeah, uh, it's not uncomfortable. It's not uncomfortable anymore to me. It's more them like, oh, my bad. Yeah. You know? But that's okay. Again, and that's good. We that learn you can and have we grow. Those conversations. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, but thank you guys for joining us today. Thank you, Chastity. And we'll see you guys in part two of Reparations.